Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For many of us, there is one film which has caused us to have an ongoing fear of swimming in the sea. If you've ever felt uneasy while splashing around in the waves, the chances are you've seen the 1975 Spielberg blockbuster, Jaws. But of course, we all know that the movie is just a story, right? Well, what if I told you that the events that happen in Jaws are very much based on two real-life shark attacks that are set to leave you questioning whether you should ever go swimming in the ocean again, or even get in the bathtub for that matter? Today on Macabre Mini Mysteries, we uncover the scariest shark attacks in history. another episode of Macabre Mini Mysteries. I'm Nikki Druce, your host with the silent G, and today I'll be taking you on a journey into another macabre tale from around the world. Today we're headed out into the ocean and maybe a creek or two, so make sure you've got your armbands because you're gonna need them. However, before we get into today's story, if you're new here and you want to see more videos where we deep dive into some lesser known historic tales from around the world, then please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I make to make sure it continues, then why not consider becoming a patron? The link for which is in the description. 
Also, I now have merch, so if you want to get your hands on some limited edition togs, make sure you check out the link in the description. I've honestly just been wearing mine non-stop since I got it, so if you're looking for something comfy, horrifying and stylish, then make sure you check it out. If you're not into t-shirts, then there's also a mug there too. And who doesn't love a novelty mug? since I was about eight or nine, I've absolutely loved sharks. At one point, I could name all the different species, give you the Latin names. I even know how to tell you if they're male or female. Basically, I was a super nerd for sharks. Am I still a super nerd for sharks? Yes. So I've been thinking of a way to incorporate my love of Elasmo Branchy into an episode for a while, and so I began delving into shark attack stories online because it's me. What else am I going to do in my spare time? And I discovered that Jaws, the Peter Benchley book, was written after he too also learned about horrifying shark attacks from back in the day. Now, in the book and subsequently the film, the stories pop up as a warning to not repeat the same behaviour when a new mega great white comes onto the scene. But these two tales today may have been carried out by two entirely different species of shark, but both of them resulted in many deaths and led to the nightmare fuel which spawned Benchley's book. Now first up, I'm just going to preface this episode by saying sharks are not evil, bad or actually, for the most part, that dangerous. It's important to remember that humans kill way more sharks per year than sharks kill humans. We're the monsters in this situation, not them. But I think these stories are super interesting and worth sharing, and I'll be giving you a bit more shark context in a while. So without further ado, let's wade into the water and also get out of this costume before I sweat to death. It's a bustling, busy Saturday afternoon in the seaside town of Beach Haven in New Jersey. The beach is absolutely packed, the water is full of people, and the sun is beating down. Just after lunchtime, a man is playing with a dog at waist height in the shallows close to the shore. The game has been going on for a while, and the man is running around, jumping and making quite a bit of noise. But over the hubbub of the crashing waves, his fellow beachgoers and the barks of the dog, he can't really be heard. The ears of his fellow swimmers prick up after a short while, when his yelps turn to screams and they hear the word shark bellowed out. Before long, the man finds his way to the shore, but he's bleeding everywhere, and his lower legs are in quite a state. In a little over an hour, he would be dead from the injuries he'd sustained. This man, who was now bleeding out on the shore, was Charles Epting Van Sant, a 25-year-old accountant who used to spend many of his weekends during the summer enjoying beach haven, relaxing with his family, and generally having a good time. However, on this fateful Saturday, this would be the last time Charles would ever set foot on the beach. Those on the beach said they saw a nine-foot-long shark thrashing around in the shallows right after the attack before it quickly disappeared. Many have since theorised that the shark was actually going after the dog Charles was playing with and his leg just happened to get in the way. After Charles was savaged, rescuers tried to save him. Amongst those on the beach that day was Olympian swimmer Alexander Ott, who helped to get him out of the water, saying all the while the shark was swimming near him. But despite everyone's efforts to try and save Charles, his chances of survival weren't looking good. 
Rescuers managed to get Charles back to his hotel, but unfortunately for the 25-year-old, his femoral artery had been severed and he slowly bled to death, dying just over an hour after the attack. After the attack, the town was in shock, but despite warnings from sailors on boats saying there had been a large shark spotted around the area several times, beaches stayed open in favour of making money. On July the 6th, just five days after Charles was killed, a 27-year-old bellboy manager named Charles Bruder swam out 120 metres past the breaker at Spring Lake, New Jersey, 45 miles north from Beach Haven. After a short while of swimming, he was rushed from beneath and then dragged under the water. In the frenzy of the attack, both his legs were bitten off and he died just 10 minutes after on the way back to shore. As the water ran red with his blood, people dashed to drag Charles out of the sea, but it was obvious to rescuers that the attack was going to prove fatal and he passed away before he made it back on land. Charles was pulled onto the beach and unfortunately not spared any dignity as he was gawped at by onlookers who were at the nearby packed hotel beachfront bar. People began to faint due to witnessing the severity of his injuries and the ocean and the beach were instantly cleared due to the horrific nature of the scene that unfolded before them. In just under a week, two men had died from fatal shark attacks, but that wasn't all. Things were about to get much, much worse and the death toll was about to rise. To mitigate the possibility of another horrific attack happening again, bathing was discouraged around the whole coastal area, but people didn't need to be warned. They were already deterred from swimming in the ocean, and the visits to the coast took a momentary dip. Thinking the ocean was out of bounds, it made sense that people would find other bodies of water to swim in, and in a nearby creek, some boys did just that. Not thinking that there was even the possibility of a shark being in there, but unfortunately they were very wrong. A further six days later, after Charles the bellboy was killed in Spring Lake, on July the 12th and 25 miles north of where the second attack happened, a sea captain walking through Matawan Creek spotted a large shark heading upstream in the brackish water. After returning home he tried to warn the local authorities but his information went unrecorded much to the detriment of those swimming in a nearby creek. About an hour later, and a mile away from where the captain last saw the creature, there were horrid cries heard coming from the Wyckoff Dock, a swimming hole in the creek. A gang of boys between the age of 10 to 15 and a pet dog had all decided to take a dip in the local tidal creek. In a wider section of the water, the boys were messing around and splashing about when things turned terrifying. Lester Stilwell, an 11-year-old boy, was dragged under the water and never returned to the surface, while swimming in the deepest part of the creek. Seeing their friend get attacked, the other boys who were swimming alongside him were understandably horrified and fled the scene to the nearby town to get help. One of the men who went to Lester's rescue was Stanley Fisher, a 24-year-old well-liked businessman from the nearby town. Amongst other helpers, Stanley rushed back to the creek with the boys to try and recover Lester's body. Stanley and the other rescuers waded into the water and began searching for the boy with their arms and legs sweeping under the water. However, they thought that the boys had been over-exaggerating and they thought there was no risk of a shark being in the creek, instead thinking Lester had had some kind of seizure instead and drowned. 
It didn't take long for Stanley to find the boy's body, which was sadly sitting on the bottom of the creek. Stanley heaved the boy's body up and into his arms, using the water to help carry him. However, this act of heroism would cost Stanley dearly. As Stanley was carrying Lester back to the shore, the shark which had taken the boy's life wasn't willing to share their catch, and they came to claim him for their own and grabbed Stanley by the right leg, causing him to drop the boy back into the creek. The shark bit and tore into Stanley's leg, dragging him under the water. Luckily, Stanley managed to fight the animal off, but sadly, it was too late. Once he'd made it out onto the bank of the creek, much like the two men before him, he too had a severed femoral artery, and about an hour later, at the local hospital, he too died from his injuries. However, this wasn't it for the shark. Fancying another snack, the animal attacked their fifth and final victim, a 14-year-old boy, Joseph Dunn. He was bitten on the leg whilst about waist-deep in the creek, about half a mile away from where Lester and Stanley had been attacked. However, this time, Joseph would be lucky enough to survive. Luckily, Joseph was swimming with his brother and a friend when the shark grabbed onto his leg. Both of them immediately grabbed Joseph, and luckily the shark, probably tired from their earlier antics, gave up quite easily, letting Joseph go. However, that's not to say that his injuries weren't significant. Luckily though, Joseph was rushed to St Peter's University Hospital in New Brunswick. He spent around six weeks in hospital, where he made a full recovery. With four people dead and the words man-eating shark filling the headlines, people were hell-bent on tracking down the animal they held responsible for the five attacks. A bounty was put out on the shark and a $100 reward, just under $3,000 in today's money, was offered for anyone able to capture the beast. As such, this was an awful thing for the shark population of the area and a lot of the other local wildlife. Shark hunters went to town trying to track down the chaotic chondrichthys and as such they stabbed any fish in the water with pitchforks, used dynamite in the creek and used nets to troll the shallows, killing a lot of other animals in the process. Even guns were used to shoot at anything in the water. It was a bad time to be a marine creature. Hundreds of sharks were caught and killed in the area and the one thought to be responsible for killing at least Lester and Stanley was more than likely included in that number, as a juvenile great white shark was hunted, cut open, and the contents of its stomach inspected, in which human remains were found. But due to how decomposed these were, and forensic knowledge at the time not being fantastic, it may well have not been the case. Many people thought after the event that the attacks in the creek may have been down to a turtle, but those that witnessed the events all claimed to have seen a dorsal fin that day and even the body of the shark in the water. However, I have my own personal theory about this one. I think the creek shark and the sea shark may well have been two different animals. Now, this is where my nerdy shark knowledge comes to the fore. Tidal creek water will have most likely been brackish, so a mix of fresh water and salt. A shark which is known to do well in these conditions is a bull shark, so I think the shark that killed Lester, Stanley and injured Joseph was more than likely one of those. I think the other two attacks out at sea were more than likely the great white that was found instead. So I personally don't believe we're looking at one so-called man-eater here, I think we're looking at two. 
However, hundreds of sharks were killed after the events of the attacks. And given that sharks can swim for literally hundreds of miles, it may well be that the ones responsible were never found. But given that sharks can live up to 30, 40 years or so, no more attacks like those happened again. So either that shark was caught or it just moved on elsewhere and didn't encounter people again. The attacks had a lasting effect on the coastal towns of New Jersey for a number of years afterwards, and even sunbathing was down by 70%, let alone swimming. Many people opted to stay away from New Jersey beaches for a number of years after the incident, and it affected many local businesses, causing many of them to close. The town of Matawan nowadays is somewhat of a macabre tourist destination for those wishing to see where the Matawan man-eater struck, and there's even a mural in the creek reminding people to be very careful if they go for a dip. Even though I know it's harmless, I definitely wouldn't be able to get there out of my head. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, moving on, we're now going to delve into the next story, said to be more responsible for inspiring Spielberg than Benchley, and that's the story of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis in 1945. And this one is truly terrifying. It's July 26, 1945, and the USS Indianapolis had just finished its flagship mission. It had delivered components to be included in the first atomic device to be used on people. These items had been delivered to the island of Tinian in the Pacific Ocean. The component parts delivered would become the bomb Little Boy, the atomic bomb which was dropped in Hiroshima, which was responsible for killing over 80,000 people. Once the parts for the bomb had been delivered by the Indianapolis, the boat then headed to the Philippines to join its sister ship, the USS Idaho. But unfortunately, it would never reach its final destination. Four days later, on July 30th, just after midnight whilst crossing the Philippine Sea, a Japanese submarine snuck up on the Indianapolis and fired two torpedoes. The boat suffered immediate fatal damage, and within 12 minutes the boat, which was now in two, 
had sunk. Of the crew of 1,196 men, around 300 of them sank with the ship. The rest of them, around 900 men, managed to make it off the boat and into the sea, whether that be optionally or if they were flung there, and this is where their fate became instantly uncertain. Miles from the shore and with no time to have properly launched lifeboats or to even get flotation devices, many men drowned within minutes of evacuating the ship. Distress signals were managed to be sent before the boat sank, but these went unanswered and the men had nothing to do but wait in the water, hoping someone might come to rescue them. But little did they know, help was never going to arrive. Even though the SOS had been sounded, those that received it didn't do anything to answer it, despite it coming several times over. And as a result of this negligence, the stranded men were literally left to die in the water. With such a large amount of injured people floating around, it wasn't long before the sea was turning crimson. People had suffered injuries as a result of the torpedo blast, falling wreckage, and just simply clambering off the boat in such a hurry. The blood didn't go unnoticed and rang out a dinner bell to all the sharks within a mile of the area. Unbeknownst to the men, they were being hunted down from beneath the surface. It wasn't long before those bobbing in the water noticed mysterious shapes moving below them, and before long, they began closing in on the injured. Fins started to breach the surface, and panic swept through the hundreds of stranded people. Those that were already injured started to get attacked by hungry, opportunistic sharks, who sadly for them were treating this as an all-you-could-eat buffet. In order to protect themselves, the men tried to climb into the few lifeboats they had available, prioritising the injured which had fallen from the ship. Those who couldn't fit had to go it alone. To begin with, they tried to hold on to each other to create safety in numbers, but the currents were boisterous and disruptive, causing the men to let go of each other. The sharks circled and waited, and as soon as a person became separated, they would strike, dragging their dinner under the water, much to their comrades' horror. This went on for hours, and people were slowly being picked off, one by one, and shredded. One thing that helped to stave off the imminent attacks was using the bodies of the dead to gift to the sharks. As and when dead men would appear from the wreckage, those alive would use the bodies as floating bait, hoping it might fill up the hungry animals. But this only worked for so long, and as time went by, more sharks arrived and they had yet to get their fill. The prolonged agony of the situation continued as day after day the sharks fed. Knowing what was coming, men began screaming at the approaching sharks, knowing that their fate was sealed. Many knew that as soon as they heard the screams, it wouldn't be long before their friend would be dead. However, those that were still feeling energised enough to fight did find that if they kicked or punched the sharks, this made them go away. But this wasn't a permanent solution and they would always return. With more attacks, the water was getting more and more full of blood, and this drew many more sharks to the wreckage. These sharks from further away were hungry, and so it seemed that the attacks were never ending. These truly were shark-infested waters. By day three of bobbing in the ocean, the men were exhausted. Their life jackets were soaked through and barely capable of holding them above water. However, the universe seemingly wanted at least some of the men to survive for longer, as the sunken Indianapolis spat up some wooden cargo boxes which had been used to store food. Luckily, there were some treats of rotten raw potatoes inside. 
Having had nothing to drink for several days by this point, many of the men, out of desperation, drank the salty seawater. This caused major problems for them as they got sick or became delirious, and this led to them making rash decisions like swimming away from the group, which led them to being picked off by the sharks. Those that had managed to eat the mouldy potatoes made sure to ration what was available, and the crates also had a dual purpose as they could be used as a handy flotation device. This helped to dry out the waterlogged life jackets and provided a bit more respite from bobbing in the sea, waiting to be eaten. By 11am on day four, completely by chance, a lieutenant flying a bomber passed overhead and saw the chaos of the Indianapolis floating in the water. More importantly, he spotted the remaining floating men. He radioed for assistance and managed to pick up a nearby ship, the USS Cecil J. Doyle. The ship thundered to the men's rescue, deviating from its mission and, on the way, called to a base which dispatched a seaplane loaded with rafts, piloted by a man named Adrian Marks. With the men located, the rescue was swift and the pilot of the seaplane went above and beyond to rescue as many men as he could. When he arrived, he was horrified to see sharks swarming all around them, taking chunks out of them. At this moment, he shoved as many of the survivors as possible onto his plane, even tying some men who wouldn't fit inside onto the wings. The overweight plane listed and spluttered its way back to port, and Marks managed to save 56 men, all on his own sum. What an absolute hero. Out of the crew of 1,196, only 317 survived. 879 men perished. Of the 500-plus men that made it into the water, it's believed that the majority of them died from shark attacks, making this the biggest mass shark attack event of its kind ever recorded. After the event, the Navy hid the news of the Indianapolis for two weeks. In the meantime, the bomb which was made from the parts the Indianapolis had delivered was released and this dominated the headlines. The announcement about the Indianapolis was made on the same day that Japan surrendered and as such was buried in the news. A few months later, the boat's captain, Charles McVeigh, who survived the incident, was court-martialed for his behaviour before the ship was shot down. The US Navy said that McVeigh hadn't carried out the correct manoeuvres to avoid being attacked by Japanese submarines. McVeigh is still the only captain to have been court-martialed for such an event during the war. Many believe he was used as a scapegoat to cover up the Navy's incompetence for not coming to the rescue of the destroyed ship. However, the dropping of the bomb and the subsequent deaths of so many US soldiers does seem like a very odd twist of fate. So now we move on to the main thread between these two horrific tales, and that's Jaws. Steven Spielberg's titular movie was released in 1975. It was an unprecedented box office hit, and nothing like it had ever been shown at the cinema before. The book by Peter Benchley was read by Spielberg and turned into the aforementioned movie. Both the 1916 New Jersey shark attacks and the sinking of the Indianapolis are said to have served as inspiration for the notoriously malfunctioning mechanical shark nicknamed Bruce, and both real-life events are mentioned in the movie. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. Despite the very rare occurrence of shark attacks on humans, the film caused people to be incredibly scared of sharks and led to many hunting them. Spielberg is truly regretful about this fact and the knock-on effect this film has had on the shark population as a whole, particularly great whites. 
Peter Benchley also said that he was also regretful of the damage the novel had done to shark populations and never meant for his story to become a staple of pop culture. So all of this leads me on to say, shark attacks are incredibly rare. You have more chance of dying falling off your office chair or whilst putting on your socks and falling down the stairs than you do being killed by a shark. In fact, you have more chance of being killed by a cow than a shark, even a dog for that matter, and many of us have those in our homes. As it goes, many attacks on humans are a case of mistaken identity or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Surfers wear wetsuits and sit on boards, which make them look like seals, a favourite food of great whites. People definitely swim beyond markers and go into deeper waters straight into shark territory, finding themselves being given warning bites, which to other sharks is not a big deal, but to our delicate human form can be fatal. Now I'm not saying that it means it's safe to go swimming with any old shark, it just means it's not very likely that you'll be killed by one. However, now that I know about these two tales, the next time I decide to brave swimming in the sea, I'm definitely going to be thinking about this macabre mini-mystery. I've launched a very limited run of exclusive designs of merch with everything from hoodies through to mugs and long sleeve shirts like this one which is super cool it's got a little rat on it and a little noose on the arm as well but everything is limited so you have to be super quick if you want to get your hands on it if you don't like wearing merch I also have a limited edition mug on the website which will be available for just a short while and then it will be gone forever to make way for a new fun design so if you want to support the show and get something excellent in return then please have a little look. The link is in the description or you can go to macabrelondon-shop.fourthwall.com Let me spell it for you That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E-L-O-N-D-O-N dash shop dot fourth wall and that's f-o-u-r-t-h-w-a-l-l dot com also if you want a cheeky little discount sign up to patreon and five pound and up tiers get a nice fat discount on merch which definitely makes it worth your while and you also then get access to all the lovely bonus content on patreon too so it's an absolute win-win thanks so much if you do make a purchase and if you do please make sure that you tag me on instagram at nikki mccarb london so i can see your beautiful faces and your new togs If you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed, I'd love for you to join the Ghoul Gang. We're a friendly bunch, so do come and join us. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I make, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing top-tier legendary executive Patreon producers Amy, Christina, Christoph, Jess, Karen, Kate, Kevin, Mary, Sally, Sam, Sarah, Teresa, V, and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. There's also one-off donation links as well in the description, including Ko-Fi or coffee, if you want to call it that, as people were asking me to make one of those too, because you're also very kind. And so that's ko-fi.com forward slash macabre London. All support is 100% integral for me being able to continue making the show. And thanks from the bottom of my heart for even considering supporting me. You're the absolute best. Don't forget to head to the merch link to get your hands on all those exclusive designs as well, because they'll only be around for a short, short time. Thanks for joining me for another macabre mini-mystery. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. I can't do the click-clacks of the nails because I have fins.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.